going to share quickly three passages with you today. And we're going to start, it's on the theme of I will build my church. So we're going to start with Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And please, if you have your Bibles, follow along. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and reading from verse 13. And it's Peter's confession of Christ. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. I will build my church, Jesus said. That excites me, that Jesus is going to build the church and not us because I know I'm flawed my mother's here today she could tell you many a story of my many flaws Uh, Louise is not here today Louise is in Portugal celebrating still celebrating her 40th birthday way with her pals I tell you she'll be 50 by the time these celebrations will be over and Louise could tell you a very long list of flaws that I've got And yet sometimes we take it upon ourselves to think we've to build the church. We do have a part to play, a big part. But there is a difference between realizing that it is Jesus who builds the church and we are the workers or that we are tasked with building the church. Sometimes we take that task upon us and sometimes we can actually overstep the mark that little bit. There is such a fine line, such a fine margin, and yet the difference is vast. I'm excited that Jesus says, I will build my church. 2,000 years later, he is building his church in Asia, in South America, in Africa, in North America. I've been to these places, I've seen the church, I've seen it at work. It is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful what Jesus is doing, changing lives, growing his church. Right now, around the world, there are over 2 billion people that make up the church. Isn't that fantastic? That's a good building project from from starting from zero, getting to 2 billion people in 2,000 years. But what concerns me is, in Scotland... The church is shrinking back. Does that concern you? Concerns me. 
specifically concerns me about what we as a church are doing in Whitburn. Are we allowing Jesus to build the church? We're going to go into that in detail. But I love how Jesus starts off in this passage. And he says to the disciples, Who do you say I am? So let me ask you that question this morning. And feel free to speak back to me. Who do you say Jesus is? Son of God. God the Son. The Messiah. Our Saviour. Healer. Builder of the church. Oh, you're focused, Steve Giorgio. You're focused. Anybody else? Deliverer. God, the creator, yeah. Tells in Genesis, tells in various parts of the scripture that he's the one that flung the stars into space. Wow. What a picture that is. Word in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He is love. Very much so. He is the personification of love. For me, he's many things. He is my best friend. An ever-present who has never let me down. He is also the king of the kingdom of God. He is my king. I am a citizen of that kingdom. King and friend. Amazing. He is also eternal. As is our soul, eternal. Yeah. Great answers. That's encouraging. That's awesome. But let's look at um, this passage a little bit more. This passage really opened up to me uh, 12 years ago when I started building houses. When Jesus says, I will build my church. So I've got some pictures here of houses I built. Doesn't look great, does it? Wait a minute, Kathleen. Let me tell you the first thing about building. If you've never been on a building site, it is messy. It is dirty. It is hard work. It's hard being out there in all four elements throughout the four seasons. It's hard. And, and when you start to build, you think, what's this going to look like? So I bought this little bit of a farm uh, outside Broxburn, up beside Amondale Country Park. And uh, these farm buildings had been standing for 150 years and they'd never been looked after. They were falling down. So this is where we started off. So let's click on. First thing you've got to do is you've got to really work on the foundations. So I've got a few pictures here of the foundations. On you go, Kathleen. The foundations are so important. Keep going. This is still foundations. And the steel gets added. And then we pour the concrete. And then you see the concrete getting worked in. And then you'll see all the concrete. That's actually about three houses together at that point. Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Foundations are so important. And Peter... My goodness, he was an uneducated fisherman. Gives us a lot of hope, does it not? And how flawed was Peter? I've highlighted him a few times when I've been preaching. Ah, he, was, he was a bit, I don't know, impetuous. Ah, 
the first time he meets Jesus, he's out fishing all night. Jesus says, no catch anything, Peter. <laughs> he says, why not try and put your nets out another time? And I wonder about Peter, if at that time he's kind of saying, oh, who's this guy to tell me? Um, I'll show him. Look, there's nothing. The fish only biting the day. Throws out his nets and they have a miraculous catch of fish on one word from Jesus. And Peter immediately gets out his boat on the docks, drops to his knees and says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, I will teach you to be a fisher of men. And they have that journey. Three years together. All the miracles. People getting their sight back. The blind getting their sight back. The the lame being able to walk. Those with skin diseases given clean skin. The dead raised back to life. Phenomenal. All the teaching. All the preaching. And eventually Peter gets to that point where. Lord I would die for you. I would give my life for you. And Jesus says, Peter, in a few hours' time, my friend, you'll even deny that you know me. And he does. But Jesus reinstates him, and we'll get to that later. But he is the rock that Jesus picked from this passage. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the one that was promised. Jesus says, you're right. And on you, Peter, you flawed fisherman, you're going to be the one that's going to kick it all off when I'm off ski. You're the one that's left behind. You're the one that's going to drive it on. But don't worry, I'm going to send you my spirit. And together we'll do great things. So let's move on to the next pictures, Kathleen. So from the foundation, and there's whole lots of other people involved in the building project. We've got stonemasons, Next again, I've got joiners. That's my friend Chris, who's started to do some work on my house, build an extension. Martin Neely's helped me with my extension as well. Skilled builders. Uh, I think I'll need to go back, and this is 12 years ago, but I'll dock Chris a, wage, a day's wage for nowhere in his hard hat, health and safety there. We've got scaffolders, roofers, plumbers. Keep going, Kathleen. But eventually, we get to the point where the project gets finished, and we get beautiful houses. Keep going. Stunning houses. These are the next houses that I built. And inside there is great beauty. Stunning. Beautiful. Keep going, Kathleen. And we won awards for those houses. That was the best conversion project in Scotland. And then eventually the next year we got the award for Scotland's House of the Year. And yet you look at that first slide and it's a dirty mess. Building is a process. And I learned a lot about that passage when Jesus said, I will build my church. Because in that building project, up until then I'd just been a quantity surveyor and then I started this house building company and it was my idea for these houses. It was my vision. I had the vision up here. I had to go and speak to architects and engineers to get the detail of that vision down in black and white. But even that is not enough for when the, the joiners and the stonemasons and the ground workers and the plumbers and the electricians and everybody that's involved in the project, you give them the drawings, the things in black and white, you give them the specification that's written down, but that gives them the broad picture, it gives them a lot of detail, but it's not enough. They still have to come and have meetings with me to say, 
what do we do with this bit? And what do we do with that bit? Because there's two or three things that we could do there. And I've got to give them clear direction. It's my vision. And we did. They followed the instructions. And we won awards. They were fantastic. But all the time I was building that, it made me think of this passage, I will build my church. And you see, Jesus does give us a great deal of detail in his word, in his holy word that's there in black and white. Here is the big picture. This is the grand vision. It's here. But in order for us to fulfill that vision, to finalize the project, to build that church, to play our part that Jesus calls us to, we still have to go back and have meetings with him. What do we do with this bit? What do we do with that bit? And he's the one that holds the vision and says, here are your instructions. This is exactly what I want you to do today. And then when you've done that, you need to come back and see me again because there's another little gap in the instructions and you need more information to move on to the next part. And eventually, we built stunning, beautiful houses. But the Lord's is building a stunning, beautiful church. I've seen how beautiful the church is in these other countries. Uh, in 10 years' time, China will be a Christian country. Um, the Premier said that recently, uh, the way their statistics are going. They have 300 million believers right now. 300 million. There are more Christian believers in China than in any other country in the world. And in 10 years, they will be a Christian country because the Christians will be in the majority in their nation. Who's done that? Who has done that? And yet, 1945, there were less than 2 million Christians there. 70-odd years ago. Absolutely phenomenal. Jesus said, I will build my church could we have went back in a time machine to 1945 and said, right, we know how we can build up China and, and make it a Christian country? None of us could have came up with a fantastic plan to orchestrate all of that. And yet Jesus has done it. He's done it and he's used workers from all over the place. I've, I've met many of the workers that went in from neighboring nations and went into China with specific instructions, a willingness to go. But they got down on their knees in prayer first. Lord, what do you want me to do? This is your show. This is your business. This is your mission. What are my marching orders? And they got very detailed, specific instructions, not ones that were found in the scriptures, which is the broad outline of the vision, but the specific instructions to go. And we read about it in scripture, in the book of Acts, and throughout the Gospels, where words were given to people. Go to Straight Street. Go and speak to this guy who's got a donkey tied up for me. So many examples of the Lord given specific instructions. And we're going to come back to that too. Next passage I would like to look at is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And reading from verse 31. So Matthew 6. And reading from verse 31. Maybe go to the next slide, Kathleen, please. So reading from verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What a statement. We do get bogged down in the detail of life or am I the only one? We get bogged down in the detail of life. We do. And we worry about things. It's the way we've been designed. It says in the scriptures, I believe it's 172 times, do not worry. God knows how he's designed us and what are the worry responses, the triggers in our mind to create us to worry. And he tells us again and again and again and again in scripture, don't worry. All you need to do is seek first my kingdom and everything else will fall into place. Including the building of the church. Including the building of the church. And this is where I find the detail is. If we are just 1% off from what God wants us to do, we will arrive at a different destination. We'll be off track. So for example, a ship leaving to go to New York from, from Glasgow, navigating past Ireland a wee bit. But leaving to go to New York, once it gets past Ireland, it's a straight line to New York. If that rudder is off 1%, 1% is tiny, 1% is small, it's minuscule. And yet, over the distance of that journey, that ship, if the rudder is off 1%, either to the left or to the right, it will not arrive in New York. It'll be in Miami or Canada. None of them is New York. So if you want to go and see the Empire State Building and you're on that ship, you're going to be awfully disappointed when you turn up in the beaches of Miami or there's mooses running about in Canada. It's the big mooses, no the wee mooses, the big mooses. It is so important that we are on this 100%. Jesus has the plan, not a plan, but the plan for building this church here in Whitburn, Whitburn Pentecostal. We are his. We are his church. I'm the church. You're the church. Together we are the church. Hallelujah. He has created us as the church. He has given us the right to be citizens of the kingdom of God. He has paid for our sins. He has washed our sins away. And we are righteous in his eyes. And we are fit for the work that he calls us to. Because he has made us fit for that work. Now we have to be 100% on it. Forty odd years we've been in this church. This church was called and birthed 40 odd years ago and yet we're about a hundred in number there is more to come from this church there is more that are going to be added to this church I know it, it's going to happen God has been speaking to us, we've been getting instructions um, and it's been fantastic, he's called us recently to have more time in prayer, more time with him and conversation and discussion chatting, listening and in those prayer meetings he's called us to do certain things he called us in January to pray from sun up till sundown. we did it, he promised he would speak he did, he called us to more prayer meetings from that, to go and pray in the high places to go and pray throughout the, the land into the four quadrants of Whitburn but first we were to gather together and pray in this place to consecrate ourselves to God we did that a couple of weeks ago it was fantastic, it was amazing and God spoke 
Hallelujah, he spoke. And I'm going to come to that in a wee minute. We need to seek God to know what we're going to, what we're supposed to be doing. Do you know how to build the church in Whitburn? Do you know how to build the church in Whitburn? I don't know how to build the church in Whitburn. I've been in Christian leadership for many years, and I've had some brilliant ideas, fantastic ideas. I think they were tremendous ideas, but they were fruitless. Fruitless because they were my ideas. I thought, based on Scripture, God will really like this. This is a great idea. Let's all and encourage people. Let's all do this thing here. You know, there's the Scripture. This is what we're going to do based on that. And then we prayed and said, Lord, will you bless this? Because we're doing it for you. My intentions were right. My intentions were good. My ideas were brilliant. But they failed. They failed. We need to get it around the other way. Lord, what do you want us to do? Where are you in this? Because that is where the blessing is. Take away my clever ideas, which are a bit embarrassing now. Take away my desires, because I might want the church to look like this, but you want the church to look like that. Help me to just follow you. Help me to get precisely into the details you're calling me to. Third scripture I wanted to look as, uh, want us to look at is John's Gospel, chapter 21. John's Gospel, chapter 21. And reading from verse 1. This is after Jesus has been crucified and raised back from, from death to life. And the disciples have seen him twice, including the time that they were in a locked room, fearful of the authorities. The authorities had killed Jesus. They thought they're going to come and get us next. And they were hiding away and in a locked room. And Jesus turns up right in the middle of them. He says, hello, boys. And they eats with them. And just before that, Thomas had been listening to other disciples who saw Jesus. And Thomas says, you boys are at it. Jesus, I'm not going to believe it's Jesus until I see him. Until I can actually physically touch the scars that you've not got a Jesus lookalike. Turns up. And there's Jesus. Turns up and says, on you go, Thomas. Put your hand in there. That's where the spear was. Thomas doesn't have to reach out. He falls to his knees and says, my Lord, my God. And this is the third time that Jesus appears to them here in John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus. I wonder if that was a nickname. It doesn't sound like a complimentary nickname, does it? <laughs> ah, Didymus. <laughs> so Simon Peter, Thomas, let's just call him Thomas. Nathaniel from Canaan, uh, Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, I will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, 
But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard them say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around them, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far away from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from dead. <coughs> you know, sometimes in our Christian faith, we can get super spiritual. And that's one of the ways that we can get 1% off. We can get super spiritual. We can become a bit pious. I was about the Pharisees were like that. They just started off with the best of intentions, but they just went a bit too much into the law, focused on their own things, missed the spirit of what the law was all about. Sometimes we can get a bit too spiritual. Now, I am not saying there's anything wrong with praying, reading scripture. In fact, that is entirely what we are called to do. To follow scripture, that is entirely what we're called to do. But there's ways that we go about it. I think it's important from reading this passage that you realize the disciples, although they were the chosen 12, the 12 that Jesus handpicked to be his team and his ministry. We've got our team of 10 over in Bulgaria right now, but Jesus handpicked his team of 12 for his ministry. And you would think, wow, they'd be the best of the best, the cream of the cream. They were numpties. Fishermen, tax collectors, political activists. And here we can see Jesus just having a bit of banter with them, I think. He's standing on the shore. They're out fishing all night, never caught a thing. And Jesus, I'm pretty sure he was kicking back the laughter when he said this, right? I better keep my voice straight. Have you no caught anything? <laughs> he knows. He knows. <laughs> Call yourself fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> caught nothing. <laughs> The thing is, some of them, four of them, were seasoned professional fishermen that had been their whole adult life. All they could do was fish. They'd learned how to fish. They earned their living from fishing. They caught fish. They sold fish. That's what they did. That was their experience. That was their abilities. And they'd been out all night and caught nothing. And sometimes that's like us in the church. Some of us have been Christians our whole life. It's our experience, it's our identity, it's what we do, it's what we know. And yet there are times that we can come up with nothing. 
especially if we look to our own understanding of the scriptures and what God wants. But with one word from Jesus, just one word, try the other side of the boat. It's a bit simple. It's really, I think he is poking fun when he says, I try the other side of the boat. You know, it could just depend on the tone you use when you say that. Or maybe he's trying to say, right, simply, just try the other side of the boat. I think sometimes Jesus is a bit like that with us. Will you just try the other side of the boat? Because everything is there. And they do, they take the nets, and wow. In that moment. No toiling all night, just in that moment. There it is, exactly what we're all looking for. The big catch of fish. And in that moment, it's John that's written this, and he's saying, nudging Peter, it's him isn't it it's him, it's the Lord and Peter's gone, who never caught into it first as he's pulling the fish you're right, it's him and he's so excited he jumps off the boat and swims to shore like an Olympic swimmer because he wants to be with Jesus that's a beautiful picture for the church and Jesus is on the beach and he's made them their breakfast, it was 7 o'clock in the morning Barbara <laughs> I love you too, I do. Yes. And he's cooked their breakfast, full cooked breakfast. 6th of June, National Prayer Breakfast for Scotland. It will only be fish and bread. There will be rolls and stuff. But, but Jesus, the Son of God, has cooked their breakfast for them. He is the servant king. He wants to hang out with his pals and have a bit of breakfast on the beach after he's taken the mickey at them. Did you not catch anything? <laughs> but at the end of it, and, and there will be banter, it would just be hilarious. And I, I love being with, with Christian brothers. I've just came from a weekend down in Whiston Lodge in, the, in South Lanarkshire with um, 30 odd of my, my friends from uh, Businessmen's Fellowship. And uh, the banter, it's hilarious. Well, these are some of the most spiritual men that I know, where God has done amazing things through their lives and reached tens of thousands of people for the kingdom. And yet they're ordinary guys, flawed and with a bit of banter. Yesterday we were going down for breakfast. I just go out of my room and uh, we're worship leader George. He walks past and George, um, he's, uh, his, his hair's kind of disappeared. Let's put it that way. Um, and he's walking past my door, and one of the other directors, Duncan, says, George, I forgot my shampoo. Can I borrow yours so I can get a wash this morning? And oh, everybody's erupting with laughter. Ha, ha, ha. Somebody else shouts, Hi, George used wash and go. He washed and his hair went. <laughs> Just the banter. And I just think, wow, the disciples, I'm pretty sure they were the same. And Jesus would be kicking it off with the banter. The thing is, Jesus is a party starter. I preached a couple a few weeks ago about Jesus um, throwing a, a party for prostitutes in Honolulu at three o'clock in the morning because that's the way the kingdom of heaven is. He reaches out to the lost and all of heaven celebrates when the lost are found. Jesus is a party starter 
And that was his party starters that he was having breakfast with that morning. He's calling us to be party starters as well, here in Whitburn, to go and reach out to the lost. Last night when I got home um, from this men's camp, I... uh, flipped the channels on the telly, and I put it onto the... I don't know if anybody ever watches TBN, which is the Trinity Broadcasting Network. It's Freeview. Some of the stuff's on it is rubbish. Some of it's quite good. Um, always kind of keen to see what's on. Last night, I was moved to tears. Um, Angus Buchan, who is a farmer from South Africa, um, was on the telly with a... It was a, a prayer meeting that he had organised for Cape Town. I've been really moved by Angus Buchan over the years, um, time when my business had failed um, with the house building. I I read Angus Buchan's book, which is Faith Like Potatoes, his story and his journey in life, and it really encouraged me. He started having a prayer meeting on his farm with his farm workers many years ago. And every year it's kind of grown. He he has men's events, and there's, there's... Hundreds of thousands of men turn up to his farm for the men's event. Last year um, in Bloemfeld, maybe the South Africa? Bloemfontein. Bloemfontein. That's exactly what I said, Anne. (laughs) Bloemfontein. They had the biggest prayer meeting in South Africa's history last year in Bloemfontein. That's exactly how I said it. Over a million people turned up for a prayer meeting. Over one million people in one place praying for their nation and for Africa. But this this, uh, prayer meeting um, that was on the telly last night, it took place in March, uh, just outside Cape Town. And in Cape Town, uh, there was a drought. I think they were two days away from all the water running out, but they were in a drought for weeks. My sister-in-law was there earlier in the year, and uh, she couldn't have a shower. She wasn't in the hotel, wasn't allowed to have a shower. That's how seriously low on water they were. So Angus Buchan says, the Lord has spoken to me to call a prayer meeting for us to pray for water to come in Cape Town, for rain to come, and the Lord wants to show his glory in this. So a bold step of faith to say that in the press and everything. We're having a prayer meeting to pray for rain. So tens of thousands of people turn up for this prayer meeting outside Cape Town, in in a part of Cape Town on the outskirts, which is the dodgiest part of Cape Town, called Mitchell's Plain. Is that right? Aye, called Mitchell's Plain, everybody. (laughs) Um, That's where they prayed. And as the prayer meeting started, it started to rain. And then it stopped. And Angus Buchan says, the Lord has said, this is a taste, but within the next week there will be floods in this place. And there was. There were floods in Cape Town after this prayer meeting there was so much rain came there was flooding property was damaged and everything there was so much rain that came but the bit that touched me really in this meeting and it's great to pray when we pray and we ask God and God turns up oh my goodness amazing things happen and that's our destiny in Whitburn but as he was leading this prayer meeting at Cape Town He says, the Lord has spoken to me to say this. And he said, this has never happened to me before. But we're going with it because the Lord's telling me to do this. He says, the Lord has told me that there are gang leaders here in this crowd today. Gang leaders from Mitchell's Plain, which is the roughest part of Cape Town, the roughest part of South Africa. He says, there are gang leaders here today. And God has a word for you. And it's this. He gave you the ability to lead. You are leaders 
But the enemy has taken you to use your leadership skills to be a destroyer of life and a destroyer of people. But today the Lord is calling you right now to use the gifting that he gave you to be a leader in his kingdom. And he called on, the, on these gang leaders to come forward for prayer and to receive the kingdom of God and to receive their calling and a word from God. So he gave this appeal. He says there are gang leaders, the actual leaders, the head of those gangs, and some other lieutenants. The Lord has told me they're here, and today is the day of salvation for you. And he says, if you don't come forward, I will just show how chicken you are. Because <laughs> it's true bravery to come forward and do business with God. And he's laying it out in front of them all. And believe it or not, 12 gang leaders came forward. And you should have seen these guys, scars on their head, teeth missing. One guy had a broken arm. And Angus Buchan goes up, led by the Lord. He said, I'm just following the Lord's lead here. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just following the words I'm getting here. And he went up to them and he, he gave them a message one by one. And prayed with them and he gave one guy his leather Bible. And it says, the Lord is saying that you're going to be the leader of a church in Mitchell's Plain. If you've received this Bible, you're receiving God's salvation right now. And this hardened, really tough-looking guy, it looked like when, when Angus Buckingham came up, we started off with, he thought, this guy's going to pull out a gun and shoot him. That's what it looked like. This guy broke down and dissolved into tears and wept in Angus Buckingham's arms. And Angus is saying to the crowd, this is the kingdom of God right here. The kingdom. Jesus came for these very people. And he said, as I was preaching today, Jesus said to Peter, the most flawed of all the disciples, you're the one I'm choosing to build the church on. An uneducated fisherman who often gets things wrong. And the Lord is now choosing these 12 men here to start a revival in Mitchell's Plain. And a different word for each one of them. And he gave one guy his Bible, the next guy gave his, his hat, the next guy gave his uh, jacket, the next guy gave his leather boots to him, the next guy gave his shirt. And I thought, this is going to turn into an 18 program any minute now. <laughs> and he got everybody to pray. And it was just so moving to see 12 gang leaders. And one of them had a broken arm. And he says, how did you break your arm? He says, a rival gang tried to kill me just yesterday. And that was one of the words that he gave to when he was calling them out. He says, the Lord is calling gang leaders here right now because there is a, a, a bloodshed, a big fight coming in your area. And if you don't come today, you'll die. These guys came forward and gave their life to the Lord. Fallen instructions. Who would have thought when they went to go and pray for rain that they'd be praying for a revival and converting the gang leaders from the worst part of South Africa and starting a revival right there and then. But when God turns up and we listen to God's prompting as he did, he didn't just run his program of, of the successful prayer meetings that he's ran, etc., and just recreate the formula, which we often do in church. He followed the Lord's specific instructions. And oh my goodness, the 12 strongest men and the gangs came to faith that day. So one last thing I want to share is that when we prayed in here a couple of weeks ago, um, you'll be surprised to know there wasn't over a million people turned up for our prayer meeting. I think there was 14. But the Lord spoke. 
And the Lord's been speaking to us. And when the Lord speaks and we follow his instruction, amazing things happen. He will build his church. And this is what he said in that prayer meeting. I want you to grow my family, which is my church. There are people not in my house today because they do not know their true identity. They do not know that they belong to my family. Go and tell them that they belong here in my house, in my family. Go to them, share me with them, and together we will grow my family. This will be achieved when you seek first my kingdom. First you must grow in me. Do this by tithing your time to me. Use this time to seek me in prayer, in scripture, in teaching, and in worship. And I will speak to you. Use this time to encourage one another, and I will be in the midst of you. Then use this time to serve me in words and in deeds. Use this time to show my love to the lost and meet their every need. Use this time to testify to others about the many things you've witnessed and experienced me do in your life. And you will see me work miracles through these times. Seek first my kingdom. Grow in the time that you give me. Give me a tithe of your time. And you will see me do more than you ever thought possible. That is a word for this church. It is a challenging word. Tithing your time. Immediately when you hear that, you think, I've not got any more time to give. But the Lord's asked me to explain it like this. In seven days, there are 168 hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So in your week, you have 168 hours which the Lord gives you. Week in, week out, 168 hours. This week, 168 hours. Next week, 168 hours. The week after that. So a tithe of that time is 16.8 hours. Let's just say it's 17 hours. <laughs> 17 hours. The Lord is asking you to give him 17 hours to seek his kingdom. To pray, to talk with him, to read his scriptures, to understand who he is. And to give your time in service. He's specifically asking us to do this. Now 17 hours is a lot. Isn't it? When you think, well, take maybe 8 hours a day to sleep. I know a lot of you are on a lot less than that. But um, psychology studies show that you need between 7 and 9 hours of sleep to function optimally as a, an adult. For the young team, it's 10 hours. You guys never get 10 hours a night. Eh? <laughs> so say it's 8 hours a day for, for sleep. There's a third of your time gone already. If you've then got a working week or you're looking after the family, you know, the grandkids, etc., that's a big part of your time. You've then got your eating and exercising and socializing and spending time with the family. You think, well, I've not got any time left. But here's the truth. When we get down to the absolute detail, like we do when we're building houses, when we're building the church, we need to get down to the absolute detail to make sure we're getting it absolutely right. Research shows that the average person in the UK 
All of us in here, the average person in the UK, spends 28 hours a week watching TV or on social media or playing games on their phone. That's average. 28 hours a week. That's a whole lot of studies from a whole lot of people, and they're all come, coming back to converge in the same numbers, 28 hours. So let's just say everybody in this room spends 28 hours either watching TV or on Facebook or on social media. My mother's even on Facebook now. <laughs> 28 hours, that's just four hours a day. Just four hours a day. But 28 hours. If you were to take your 17 hours out of that 28 hours of fruitless, nonsense, entertainment, meaningless stuff, would your life change if you didn't see Coronation Street? Would your life change if you never played your 12th game of Candy Crush that day? Would you miss it? Would your quality of life go? No. If you spent more time with God, would your life get better or worse? What do you think? You sure? And the Lord is saying to you, give me 10% of your time and I'm going to do amazing things through you. If you gave that 17 hours a week back to God, you'd still have 11 hours left to watch whatever TV you want, play whatever games you want on your phone, read about whoever's doing what on Facebook. You'd still have 11 hours to do that in the week. God is asking you to give him 17 hours to make your life better. All the psychology research shows the more time we spend watching TV and the more time that we spend on social media and the more time that we spend playing games, the worse our life gets. All the psychology research around the world shows it and yet we're spending more and more time doing these things. Let me say this. I like to watch TV. I like to relax. I like to look on Facebook, see what's happening. And I like to play games now and again. Maybe once a year. I don't actually play much games. They're fun and they're entertaining, but they're the tiniest part of my life. I would much rather see the miraculous. I would much rather have a conversation with God. I would much rather receive instructions from him. I would much rather see this lost come back to be part of God's family in this church, in this town. This is our town. This is our church. This is our time. God is calling us. God is speaking to us. And he's saying, will you give me 10% of your time? And I will do amazing, miraculous, incredible things. I will build my church here in Whitburn. And now it's down to us with our free will. Do we keep plodding and saying, oh, actually, I would rather the church look like this. And I would rather my week looked like this. Or do we follow God's instructions and have even a bit of banter with God now and again and have a laugh as we see him do amazing things? I pray that you will respond to this word. I pray that you will give 10% of your time to God. If he is speaking to us, and every word needs to be tested, and this word needs to be tested, but if you give 10% of your time to God... I'm excited to see what he's going to do through your life, through our lives together. Let's pray.
I'll invite the musicians to come up as well as we're praying. Father, we are so grateful that you speak. We're so grateful that you have a sense of humor. We're so grateful that you choose to work through us as flawed and as sinful as we are. We thank you that you sent Jesus to atone for our sins, to make us righteous, to make us fit for your kingdom, to make us fit for heaven. But Father, help us to have heaven come into our lives right now. Help us to give 10% back to you of our of our time, that time that you give us every single day. Help us, Lord, to use that time wisely to speak with you, to listen to you, to read about you, to learn about you, and to serve you. Father, you're calling us to go and pray in the high places over Whitburn. Help us to give that time to do that. Because you're right there in the midst of it. You've called us to go out and march walk through this land into the four quadrants of Whitburn and to claim this land for you. You've asked us to do this. Lord, help us to give the time to do that. Help us to follow your instructions. And Lord, help us to see the miraculous. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.